Infinity.com. Times things get complicated when you're your own roadie. <laughs> things happen, right? Uh, yeah. Well, glad you're with us this morning. Um, we are, as, as uh, Otis mentioned, we're working our way through First and Second Samuel, and um, it, it has been a good series so far. Um, and uh, yeah, last week we did talk about um, just some uh, different circumstances uh, that were maybe sometimes a bit uncomfortable, but this morning there's a really good uh, aspect of the story that we're going to be hearing because it really is focused on uh, getting to know God in a personal way. And that's what we're going to see unfolds with, uh, with Samuel as uh, he is discovering uh, who this God is in a very personal way for the first time. Now, um, in church circles, we often talk about knowing God or knowing Jesus in a personal way or having a relationship with Jesus. And before we get into the message, I want to just talk for just a second briefly about what exactly that means. What, what does that exactly mean? Well, first of all, it means this, that each of us, it's on our own, uh, to take our own initiative to receive Christ. We must receive Christ. Uh, the scriptures say in John 1.12, as many as received him, right, receiving him, to them he gave the right to be called children of God, even to those who believe in his name. So what God has done for us in giving us Jesus on the cross has, has, uh, is a way for us to be forgiven from our sins, but in order to be forgiven, we actually have to receive that. It's like a gift that you've got to open. <laughs> it's a gift you have to receive. So we must receive Christ. We need to do that through faith. Through faith. Um, Ephesians 2 says, uh, By grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not a result of works that no one can boast. In other words, we can't earn our way to heaven. We can't earn our own salvation. It's through faith. It's through faith, uh, putting our faith and trust in Jesus that we are made right with God. And uh, we... Uh, receive Christ by a personal invitation. Right? Like Jesus is extending an invitation to us to come and follow him. Uh, or as Revelation 3 says, Come to me, all who are weary. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him. Right? So the invitation is there for us. Again, it's an invitation we need to accept. Uh, it's a gift we need to receive by faith. So we understand that as we talk about God, that God is one God in three persons, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They're individual yet indivisible. They are the Holy Trinity, and it's kind of a mystery to us. We can't completely comprehend it. We can explain it. We can say it in those words, but we can't comprehend it. So we receive Christ through faith by responding to his invitational personally. And when we take that step of faith, God puts his Holy Spirit in us. Right? Like we get to know him then through his word, but also through the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit that is at work in us. Okay, so 
we understand that is the aspect of salvation by faith, right? To each one of us, this invitation that we have to receive by faith in what Christ has done on the cross. But we're talking about an Old Testament time here, right? A time before Christ came. Jesus had not yet been revealed. They were still waiting for him to come, waiting for the Messiah, waiting for the promised Savior of God. And the Holy Spirit had not yet been poured out to those who believed. So at times, God the Father revealed himself to individuals. Right? Like he spoke to the leaders of his people. Right? Um, he spoke to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and Joshua. And then the judges that were kind of raised up to deliver people from their oppressors. God kind of spoke through them. And that, those judges have been happening for a few hundred years when Samuel was born. Now he also spoke occasionally through seers or prophets and um, through, the, through the priests who served him or the high priest who served him. So in a nutshell, when you're talking about knowing God or knowing him in the Old Testament, it was possible, but it was in a, a much more limited and indirect way. Like, yes, you had the laws of God and the way you were supposed to live, but you depended so much on what God was speaking through his leaders, through the ones he had chosen, um, and, and what they said was necessary to follow him. And you showed faith in him by living out his commands, listening to the words that he spoke through those individuals, and looking forward to a day when that promised Messiah, Jesus, was going to come. But the idea of having a personal connection with God, for most, that was, that was not really happening. So as we read the story of Samuel's encounter with God, I think it's important to keep in mind that this is not only new for him, but it is an unusual experience for almost everybody in the time that it happens. So this, this personal encounter he has with God is kind of the exception, not the rule in Samuel's day. And so Samuel, he's just getting to know God in a personal way. And that's kind of our title for the message today, getting to know God in a personal way. So we're going to be working through 1 Samuel chapter 3. If you want to turn there, you can, but the text will be on the screen. Or open up in your Bible apps or however you'd like to do that. So we're just going to kind of go through this section uh, verse by verse. So 1 Samuel 3 starting in verse 1. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. All right, so the, the office or the role of prophet was not yet a very regular thing. Occasionally individuals received messages from the Lord to share with the people or individuals, but Samuel is going to be in a sense the very first real prophet to the people of Israel, to the whole people. Right? Verse 2, at that time, Eli, and Eli is the high priest who Samuel is living and serving under, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Now, there's a lot of different details in there. The ark of God was where the presence of the Lord dwelled in a physical way. God is spirit, but 
he put his physical presence there with the ark. And we're going to get into the details of some of that next week because chapters 4 through 7, they kind of detail events that occur and they all focus around the ark. So we'll get into that more next week. But the temple here that's mentioned is not the big permanent-like temple that would be built by Solomon in Jerusalem a few generations later. This temple refers to the kind of residing location of the tabernacle, which was kind of this portable temple that had been then kind of uh, put in place, located near Shiloh in Samaria, where all of these things are taking place. So we've got a map here. It's kind of hard to see because the map runs the wrong way for our TV screens. I don't know what God was thinking when he created a nation that was going to stretch this way, you know. Uh, anyway, we, all right, so here we go. The red, reddish area there, uh, or sorry, the, uh, the gray area in the middle, right kind of in the middle of things is Ephraim, and Shiloh is right above that M. A second picture just to give that, there's an arrow that points right to the spot. So you can see Shiloh's kind of central to everything, right? And that's where, makes sense, right? Where are you going to put the, where are you going to put the tabernacle? Where is that going to be? What's going to be the main place God's going to be? Right in the middle. Right? That makes sense. Um, so this is where the events we've read about ta- are taking place. So at this time, it says Eli is old. He's losing his sight and is laying down or sleeping near the ark. As high priest, he was the only one who would enter that area, and he would do it only once each year uh, for a specific ritual that was commanded by God. He probably had his dwelling, though, closest to the holiest of holy areas where the ark was located. Now Samuel was probably somewhat nearby as he assisted Eli, but it was also likely further away. A little detail that will come into play here. Um, It was nighttime, right? It, It couldn't have been too late, though, because it says the lamp of God had not yet burned out. In other words, the oil had not run out throughout the night. It was something that was supposed to be burnt perpetually, but it would be refilled each day and kind of relit and that sort of thing. All right, so, but yet, it wasn't so late that the oil had run out. Um, Now, the Lord, verse 4, the Lord called Samuel, and he said, Here I am, and ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But Eli said, I did not call. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. And the Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel rose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not, my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Verse 8, and the Lord called Samuel again the third time, and he rose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. Okay, so since Eli was old and couldn't see, it was pretty likely that he would have called for Samuel's help for just about anything he needed. Right? Whether that was personal care for himself or for some specific temple duty. Samuel has never had a personal 
calling like this from the Lord. So naturally, he thinks Eli's calling him. But Eli's not calling. So he sends Samuel back to bed a couple times, and the third time he realizes, oh, it must be the Lord. Now, I think this is important, um, even symbolically, right? The voice of God is probably coming from the ark where God's presence is. Right? He's calling to Samuel from there. Samuel heard it, even though he was probably further away. But Eli, who was closer, did not. Right Now, God could have called Samuel and just told him what he needed to say the very first time without involving Eli at all. Right? It wouldn't be really necessary for him to get up a couple times and go to Eli and all that sort of thing. But doing it this way made sure that Eli knew God was speaking and he was speaking directly to Samuel and not to him. Now as a high priest, <laughs> the highest spiritual authority in the land, that would probably feel a little bit like you were disgraced by that action. And uh, yet at the same time, Eli had, had quite possibly heard the Lord speak to him in this way at some point before. Because he knows what Samuel should do. Right? He tells him to answer the Lord. Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak, for your servant hears. Alright, so this time, it appears God did not call him from a distance. Right, like he'd already accomplished that purpose and let Eli know that Samuel was hearing his voice. And... But instead, God comes near to Samuel. He comes close and stood and speaks with him. And Samuel answers as Eli had told him to. Now again, remember, up until this time, Samuel was serving the Lord. He was ministering on the Lord's behalf and so on. But he really didn't know God in the same way that others may have, right? He had, he had, this, he had not had this personal encounter with God like this. And then in verse 7, we read that right in the middle of this passage. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Right? So this is literally his first real encounter with God. Like his first personal encounter with God. It's probably a lot like Paul's encounter in the New Testament. You probably remember that story, if not. But, you know, look, Paul was zealous for God. He was trained. He was educated. He was knowledgeable in God's word. He had all kinds of passion and zeal for the for the law and the word of God and trying to be righteous in his own works, and yet he had not met Jesus in a personal way. Now, of course, the difference was Paul was actually opposing Jesus and didn't realize it. He didn't believe in Jesus yet. But he was zealous for the God of Israel. Just did not believe Jesus was the promised Savior until he had this encounter with God. And that changed everything for him. So the Lord meets him on the road to Damascus, blinds him with light, knocks him off his horse, confronts Paul, who was known as Saul at the time, about persecuting him and his people. And look, a lot of times, when we first encounter God, we're talking about getting to know God in a personal way, when we first encounter God, if you think back to that moment for you, if that has happened for you, it was probably a pretty mind-blowing moment. <laughs> right? There was something pretty 
supernatural about it, right? It's, it's as if hearing God's voice was an audible experience. It was like you could feel his presence right with you, sense that he was right with you. Or it was like a light bulb had gone off in your head and in your heart. Like, oh, I get it. Right? This is about Jesus. It, maybe it was emotional. It certainly was very personal. Well, here, Samuel is having that kind of personal encounter with the God of the universe for the very first time. So he really starts getting to know God. And, you know, kind of our first idea, our first key point as we're working through this that I just want to bring out is only a personal encounter with Jesus will let us truly know him. Only a personal encounter with Jesus will let us truly know him. Otherwise, we're just knowing about him. Right? We might know facts. We might know details. We might know stories. We might have opinions. But really, it's an encounter with Jesus is where we truly know him. Right? It's not going to happen because we show up to church or do all the right things or participate in religious rituals. Those are good things and they help us understand him and they help us grow in him and stay connected but going through the motions giving him lip service that kind of stuff that's not going to help us know jesus it takes a personal encounter to truly know him but once we have it it should change our hearts right it should transform our lives it should affect our priorities it should it should give us a purpose in life right this is this is what's going to unfold for samuel in a sense he wasn't going to continue in the path to be the high priest of Israel. He was instead going to be a spiritual leader as a judge and like the first real prophet in Israel. God has plans for him. But it starts here with this encounter with him. So only a personal encounter with Jesus will let us truly know him. So verse 11, Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I'm about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. Right? Like he's saying, this is going to get people's attention (laughs) a little bit. On that day, I will fulfill against Eli, again, that high priest, all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. That's what Otis was referring to a little bit earlier, right? He had received a message, we talked about this last week, that basically said, yeah, his sons were going to die, and his lineage was going to kind of come to an end as being priests in Israel because they were so disobedient to him, so contrary to his heart. Verse 13, God says, And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore I will swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Right? He's not going to be able to fix this. There's nothing he can do that's going to appease me, God says. Now, again, he had received a message. You could say a warning <laughs> earlier. We don't know how much time had passed between chapter 2 and this event. But look, Eli is here being depicted as failing in health. We know he lived to be old. That's about all we know. But he's not able to see. He's failing in health. So it's likely been a while. And God hadn't forgotten what he said he was going to do. Right? He gives Samuel a tough first message about, sorry, like, 
realize that as Samuel's getting this message, he's getting a very tough first message about the man who has been raising him. Right? To whom he's been serving under for years. So, what is Samuel's reaction? Verse 15. Samuel lay until morning, then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. And Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, Samuel, I mean, Samuel gets a message as to what's going to happen, but God doesn't specifically say, hey, go tell Eli this. But it's kind of implied, this is a message about Eli, right? You need to know this is going to happen. And Samuel is clearly uncomfortable with this whole situation. Right? So it's going to be some baby steps as a prophet. By the way, I'm going to start you out by telling a message of gloom and doom to the, ba- to the guy who's been your dad. <laughs> Tough first task. So he, Samuel doesn't run back quick and tell Eli what happened. He doesn't go tell him first thing in the morning. He avoids him. Right? And he just goes about his day as if, ah, nothing ever happened. Verse 16, But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, Here I am. And Eli said, What was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you. And more also, if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. Right? (laughs) So here's this father figure the high priest of the land, the spiritual authority in the land saying, you need to tell me what God said. Now, of course, Eli wants to know. I mean, hey, God woke Samuel up a couple times last night. I want to know what he had to say. Any of us would probably be curious about that, but for Eli, again, he had received that message of warning, of doom, years earlier, and it wasn't a good one. I don't know, maybe he'd been kind of waiting for this to come. Maybe he'd been hoping God would somehow change his mind. So Eli presses him, tell me the truth, tell me the truth. And so there's no way for Samuel to get out of this one, right? Verse 18, so Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, it is the Lord. So Eli's response, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. It's the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. Now I know that this message said specifically there was nothing that he could do that would change God's heart. But again, this is the second time he gets a harsh judgment pronounced on him. The first time, we get no mention of any response from Eli. When he was told his lineage would be cut off from the priestly line, his sons were going to die on the same day, he gets this message and crickets, right? Nothing. Nada. And now, this second time, God confirms it. And Eli's response is, well, kind of ho-hum, right? So be it. God's going to do what God's going to do. I want you to think about that because I think there's a question we need to ask ourselves like, look, what is our response to God's warnings? Right? Like, what is your response to God's warnings? The things we read in Scripture that instruct us on how to live that we're not in line with. 
right? The times that he, he, he kind of prompts our hearts because, yeah, we're being convicted of some sin that we know we're not supposed to be doing. What's our response to God's warnings when we hear them? I don't know about you, but if, if God came to me and warned me about some impending destruction or disaster to come on me and my family because of sin, I'd probably be like a little bit repentant. I think. I mean, I like to think I would be. Like, I'd look to change my ways pretty quickly, right? Immediate prayer and fasting. Right, right off the bat. At least I think I would do that. That's not what Eli did. And so here's kind of the point of this. Our response to God's warning should be brokenness and repentance. Right? Our response to God's warning should be brokenness and repentance. Right? A couple of instances we see about this in Scripture, even though some of them they come after the time here of, of Eli and Samuel. But David would eventually write this in Psalm 51:17 after a you know, a pretty terrible act on his part. He writes this, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Right? When our hearts are broken before God, and we're sincerely sorrow, He's not going to despise us. He's not going to turn us away. Isaiah 57 reinforces that when God says this, I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who is contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. God responds to us when we're repentant. We seek to change our ways. You know, Jesus told an incredible, well, he told many incredible stories, but he he told this parable to someone uh, from Luke 18. He, it says he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes up to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Right? When God warns us that we are off track, when we know that we are off track, when the Holy Spirit convicts us that we're off track, maybe through his word, maybe through just... You know, that prompting of our hearts, maybe through someone else who shares a tough message with us like Samuel did to Eli. Shouldn't that be the first thing we do? Right? Repentance, brokenness. So our response to God's warning should be brokenness and repentance. And here's the thing, we do see sometimes in Scripture where God presents a message of judgment and the people repent and God delays His judgment. Right? The, the first and most natural story for me that comes to mind is when Jonah is sent to Nineveh to give a message to that entire city. Right? The entire city fasts and repents and God relents. 
Like, yes, the punishment eventually does come later on down the line because that same group of people kind of continues in their ways. But God is compassionate and merciful when they repent. So our response to God's warning should be brokenness and repentance. We don't hear anything like that with Eli. He just says, huh, it's the Lord. Let him do what, he seems, what seems best. Wow. Wow. Now, as for Samuel, kind of finish up last couple verses here. It says, And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. In other words, whatever God told Samuel, it came to pass. And this would too. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of God. And when it says the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, that makes it kind of sound like, yep, God appeared one more time. But the wording, it makes it sound like that in English, but it's, it's suggesting this, that God continued to speak to Samuel there. Right? This wasn't a one-time encounter, a one-time appearance. God was speaking to Samuel regularly. And every time there was a deeper and deeper relationship with the Lord, I'm sure that Samuel was growing into, right? One between God and Samuel. Again, Samuel was getting to know God in a very personal way. And I think the point that I really want us to close with is this. Um, this should be a regular thing for us too. Right? Like, here's the thing. Intimacy with God should be normal, not occasional. Right? Not like the, uh, every couple of weeks I pop open my Bible and pray. Not a, you know, I show up for church once in a while and maybe see what God's about. That's not what he's longing for from us. He's longing for a relationship. Relationships take time. They take commitment. Right? They take engaging in, in that relationship. Intimacy with God should be normal, not occasional. Like we should be encountering him in prayer, in scripture, in worship, in community, things like that. Now, that doesn't mean there are, aren't times where we're going to have some dry spells, right? Or maybe um, we're not going to clearly sense God's presence like we did once before. I think there's times that God even calls us to trust Him that way. It's like, you know, I could walk with you closely through this, but I want you to trust me. I could make you feel that every little step that you take is going to be perfect, and I'm right there, and it's okay, and go ahead. But he wants us to grow up and to trust him in faith and to take steps that he calls us to, even when we, we, aren't, we aren't so sure <laughs> or aren't reassured that it's perfect, that it's all going to be just fine. And so sometimes I think God pulls back a little bit to let us walk by faith. But generally, we should be close enough connection with him that we can literally sense God's presence and hear his voice, like Samuel did. The Holy Spirit that God pours out and puts into our hearts when we come to faith in Christ prompts us and convicts us and leads us and guides us and speaks to us. And it should be powerful. It might be emotional. It's definitely personal. But the point is it should be normal, 
right? That should be normal, not occasional. And I want to say this, if you're in a place in your life where it feels like it's been a long time since you experienced God in that way, it's probably not on him. Right? God's not going anywhere. He promises he'll be with us. He promises he'll never leave us or forsake us. The Holy Spirit that's in you is in you, literally. Right? There's nowhere you can go that you're going to be separated from them. So God didn't go anywhere. Right? James 4.8, though, encourages us, draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. Like he still longs for you to come to him. Just like the prodigal son who came home and the father sees him a long way off and goes running out to meet him, he's not going to turn you away. Like Maybe you haven't been way off track or running away from God, but your relationship with him has been neglected, maybe is a good word. And you're like thirsty and you're running dry and empty. Like you haven't spent the time with him that you need to for a while. Relationships require time. Like, you ignore God, and guess what? You're going to feel thirsty. You're going to feel dry. You're going to feel empty. I, I know. I've experienced that. Jesus says in John 7, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scriptures have said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Right? He promises we're going to have rivers of living water flowing out of our hearts when we're coming to him. He said the same thing to the Samaritan woman at the well. In that encounter, right? He said, look, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Everyone who drinks of this earthly water is going to be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give will never be thirsty again. Right? When we have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, God is with us no matter where we go, no matter what we do. We can't escape his presence even if we try. So again, if there's a dry spell in us, it's probably not him. It's probably us. Draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. He is always with us. And this intimacy with him, that should be the normal thing, not just an occasional thing. So we're going to close with a song of worship. Maybe some of this resonates for you this morning. And uh, the song that we're going to sing is really a song of invitation. It's like an invitation for God through the Holy Spirit to move in us and among us, to be open to Him working and moving in our life. And it's really my prayer for our community this morning that we would um, that we'd be seeking God, but also for each of us individually as we kind of continue in that journey. And so... As we sing this song called Holy Spirit, we are asking the Holy Spirit to come and to move in us. That's, that's God. Right? God the Father, Son, and Spirit. So I want to pray. God, uh, this morning we, we call on you. We want to invite you. We want to ask you to come and to move powerfully and personally in us so that we can grow in deeper knowledge and understanding of who you are. Right? Not just in our heads, but that we would experience and encounter you in the very depths of our hearts, in our very souls. And that we would walk closely with you. So God, by your Spirit, we pray that you would speak to us like you spoke to Samuel. And God, we 
will be listening for your voice. Help us to hear you, to experience you. In the name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Portico Church in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. You can find out more about our church at porticocommunity.com. 